It was so much fun. And so I think that's why we do it, you know, like it's so rewarding and it's that instant gratification too because you seek like instantly with the customers how much they're enjoying it and their reaction and, and they feed off off you as well like if they come in and see that we're having a great time they're going to join in with us and have a great time with us too this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep they say life can change in a moment that a path we'd never considered can open up before our eyes and lead us on a new journey what if that path not only led to a dramatic change in your own life but had the opportunity to change others too. Frankie Cox is a chef and owner of Green On in Richmond, Victoria. Frankie, how are you? Hello, Huck. Good, thanks. How are you? Good. It's good to catch up with you again. There's a lot of changes in your life at the moment. Yeah, a lot's changed since we spoke last, um, but all very exciting things, which is good. Well, you've had a dramatic change in your life personally, and it's it's taken you down a path that's quite exciting with food. Um, where, where have you landed? Tell us where you what you've created first, and we'll go backwards. Yeah, cool. So, I guess um, I can't. It all kind of led to me doing things with more purpose, um, and a big part of that is eating with purpose. Mm. Um, so you know, really understanding where your food comes from and how it's grown and what impact that's going to have on you, but also in turn what impact that's going to have on the environment and the community around you. So it's um, it's kind of like the way I like to live now, I guess, like just be um, live with purpose and um, be conscious about the decisions that you make and, and your consumerism and really all you need is less. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to make that way of eating um, and living as approachable and accessible to as many people as possible because um, I feel so great doing it and I and it has such a great impact, again, on you as an individual and on the environment and on communities. So I was thinking what's the best way to um, – what's the best platform to create that on and, and how can we reach as many people as possible? So – I guess you could say it's a salad bar. When I, whenever I tell people it's a salad bar, they're like, oh, but like it's, well, what, it does so much more. But again, like we want to be approachable. So everyone knows what a salad bar looks like. Um, and so that is what we look like, but it just happens that there's a lot of layers to our business, but it is also about simplicity. So um, in terms of price point, the salad bar was um, very attractive for me to do because I want it to be um, – you know, a, an accessible price point for people and at entry mm. level. Um, I know, you know, a lot of people probably try to get their lunch under $10, but you can get a pretty decent meal here under $15. So that's a really good start for us. Um, and just to create joy as much as possible along the way. <laughs> well, well, salad bar sounds like you're underplaying it a little bit. Can you give us an idea of what people experience at Green On? So um, when you come in, you're greeted by one of us 
straight away and we kind of talk you through um, what you want to do. You can also choose off the menu if you're not interested in having a conversation and put your head down and keep going. Um, But we are really interested in reconnecting people with food and, again, the purpose with food. Mm. So um, we really enjoy the storytelling behind that. Um, And it's a very visual experience. All the ingredients are on display. So we find that's great for the reconnection again there. Um, so yeah, you can either choose something off the menu or you can choose to build your own and we take you through it and, um, all the ingredients are Victorian wherever possible. So about 95% of our ingredients are Victorian, um, which has been, that was half the fun, um, before opening was sourcing all the producers, um, and as we've discussed before, I love <laughs> um, working directly with producers, love hearing their story, and everyone's so passionate about what they do, which is really exciting to hear. So um, things like our pumpkin, seed, um, our pumpkin seeds, they are from the only pumpkin seed farm in Australia, which happens to be in ovens, um, just kind of like near Myrtleford towards on the way to Bright. Wow. And, um, they the they only grow the pumpkins for the seeds. Wow. It's um the um the variety have been available now for about a hundred years, and so yeah the the flesh is super bitter, um and there's not much flesh. So yeah they grow them for the seeds. There's ten times the nutritional value um than the Chinese ones, and that's the only other ones that are available in Australia. Mm. So they're they're pretty rich. They're much larger and darker, and they're so delicious. And I think that's kind of what we're about here too. Is like it's simplicity because each individual ingredient just tastes so incredible. We don't want to have to do much more to it. And um, a lot of the feedback has been how filling everything is. Everyone says that they've stayed feeling full all day, um, and that's what we believe in too. That food is meant to be nourishing. And the shorter the food miles, the more nutrients that stay in the food, um, the more nourished you are and fulfilled you are. And, and really, that has such incredible short-term benefits for at the time, but it also has incredible long-term benefits. So I don't know if it's me being lazy or why I do things for purpose, <laughs> but if you eat with intention, then you're actually gaining more than just you know putting a meal in your belly. Um, I'm always thinking, what can I do more with what, what I'm putting in um, my belly? So if you eat with food with lots of nutrients, um, mm. yeah, you're short-term very fulfilled but also long-term very healthy. So it's a win-win. And tell us a bit more about these producers that you've connected with. Do you have a story or two of some of the local ones that you weren't aware of until you went on this sort of path? Well, yeah, I wasn't really aware of the pumpkin seeds. I knew that there was an Australian producer, but I didn't know there was um, only one Australian producer. And they also just run the most incredible farm. Like, they're so interested in their impact and always trying to reduce their footprint. And they've done so much research. I probably can't really quote you on this. You might need to find out from them. But in terms of what machinery that they use on the property, they tried to do as much no-tilling as possible, but they needed mechanics for some things. But um, you know, uh, did a list of the pros and cons and figured out how much fuel certain things would cost and I think they ended up going with some kind of ute to do all the work. So they've put so much thought and attention to detail into it. And, um, yeah, I'd, I just had – I only called up to, you know, kind of get a price list and got the whole story and I was like, well, this is, you know, my new favourite producer. Sorry, other producers. <laughs> uh, one of my most favourite producers. Um, but – 
maybe not a producer, but something that has just blown my mind and I have thought is so, so cool um, in the process of everything is what we were going to do with our food waste. So mm. we, we tried to keep our food waste um, at a complete minimum in terms of using um, the whole ingredient. Like we roast off the cauliflower leaves and put that through the roast cauliflower. But some of the leaves are gigantic and tough and a little bit bitter. So... Um, we had kind of looked at a few um, like composting machines, but they were huge and really expensive. And then I came across um, a company called Waste Ninja, and they—I um, just thought they were a composting company, but they actually don't compost the food scraps. They um, let the—they take the methane from the food and convert that into biogas. And then that biogas goes back onto the electricity grid of Melbourne. Wow. And so I was just like, why isn't that plastered everywhere? Like why (laughs) is everyone taking their food waste into electricity? It's incredible. Um, So I'm just, yeah, I don't know, I have a smile from ear to ear just talking about that, (laughs) which is really cool. Um, So, yeah, that's been a really amazing thing to learn. And then other producers... Um, we've got amazing almonds from Manor Farms up near, um, uh, sorry, now the name's escaped me. What's on the border? Mm. Starts with M. Up Mildura. Mildura. Mm. Um, and they're just super delicious. That's what, like, I mean, it's no surprise, but all the ingredients are just so delicious. Every time we eat something, we're like, oh, this is so good. Um, so I guess that's what brings a lot of the joy in the food as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about your returner bowls you're using at Greenon. Yeah, so um, we are trying to avoid single use wherever possible um, and we would like to eliminate single use packaging within the first 12 months of the business but we also didn't want to create barriers to entry when we were new and when people mm. didn't want to make the commitment to um, something that's reusable or also it's a $6 deposit so we understand that's quite a lot on top of a fourteen to sixteen dollar salad, so um, so we do offer buy a pack at the moment. But Returner is a reusable deposit based bowl system. So it's this very cute little stainless steel bowl, and it's six dollars to rent, um, and essentially it is yours to keep. So um, we. Uh, when the customers come back in with their bowl, we give them a fresh one every time. Wow. And as an extension of that, um, we like to offer 50 cents off for ev- to every order that comes in with their wow. bowl just to incentivize it a bit more. So because we're in a business park, we know that everyone's nearby and um, it's a pretty easy system to use for them. Mm. So we've actually already moved 300 returner bowls in our first wow. just shy of four weeks. And we're averaging about 20 to 30 return customers a day that are coming in with their returner bowl. So we just love to see it. You've got a vast experience in the industry. Has, has there been challenges creating this model at a low price point with the dedication to sustainability and quality produce? Um, yes and no. I think... I think this model was attractive to me because it is so streamlined. Um, I I knew it was going to be hard to find good staff and I knew that, um, you know, if it was to be a restaurant kitchen, um, that there's – 
there's so much flexibility in where a recipe can go, whereas this is very streamlined in that all the recipes are down pat. We have all the settings saved in our Unox oven. Um, so, you know, every time someone does sweet potato, as long as we've shown you how to cut it the right shape and size, mm. it's cooked the same way every time because obviously people um, want to see consistency when they come in. Uh, but I've also <laughs> I've been so lucky with staff. I have the most incredible staff. My co-chef, um, Kate Barr, we met in New York and I trained her in the kitchen. She was a baker and I convinced her to come to the savory side. And we um, and then when I was a private chef, she came and did some of the larger events with me. So we have so much experience cooking together um, that we are just in sync. It's like a dance. Um and then uh, she was living in Byron Bay and she was the head chef at um, Bayleaf for their catering. Mm. And I said, like, I, I guess I said you don't have a choice. We're doing this together. <laughs> um, but she was so excited because we, we share the same values towards food and, and we, we, we love having fun with food as well. Um, and I think that this platform allows us to have that fun. Like we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Um, we're just out to try to do a good thing. And so far that's been really well received. So that's that's a good part. And then I was also really lucky to get another chef called Audrey Shaw, um, who I met through a friend years ago. Um, she had just done some training in the kitchen at the River Cafe in London Um coming from an, being an architect and crossing over to the kitchen and um, she wanted to get some advice for doing stages in New York and I just happened to hit her up seeing what she was up to and she was like, this is perfect timing, I'd love to come on board. So between the three of us, we have really vast experience and um, it's, yeah, I'm, it's we're having a good time. We're having a lot of fun, which is great. <laughs> Can you give us an example of, of some of the bowls that you're offering? Yeah, so um, one of the m- most popular ones is called the Green Goddess and um, it's with spinach and barley and then roast broccoli, asparagus, feta and a Green Goddess dressing, which is really herbaceous and tangy. Mm. It's got coriander, parsley, dill, mint, ginger, garlic, Dijon, apple cider vinegar and olive oil in it <laughs> <laughs> and then finished with those Manor Farms almonds. And then another really popular one is um, uh, the harissa cauliflower, which is spinach with sorghum, which a lot of people hadn't been exposed to before, um, which is our gluten-free option for a grain. It's actually from a grass plant, um, and it's incredibly good for you. It's full of protein and iron and actually has antioxidants in it too, so Everyone's really loving that. It's like a kind of like an Israeli couscous, um, uh, like a little bit chewy, um, mm. which it just like absorbs the dressings really well and holds as a good vessel against the other vegetables. So, yeah, that one also has harissa roasted cauliflower, um, cherry tomatoes, capers, red onions, feta. also has almonds. This one, our favorite ingredients <laughs> and a dill yogurt dressing. Um, and yeah, I guess, um, with all that dairy mentioned, we, all our dairy, um, the yogurt and the feta is Australian, which we're loving Olympos, um, feta and also their, um, Greek yogurt. And again, like, yeah, you can just tell in the flavor and, and the consideration that's been taken to produce it is, yeah, just a dream to work with. How has the local community reacted to you opening? Really good. I think they've all been dying for something to come in to the area. Um, 
there hasn't been many new venues popping up um, in the area, but there's been a lot of new office spaces. Mm. So um, there's definitely been a need for it. And I think also too, like after lockdown, and we kind of touched on it in um, our interview last year, is that from being in lockdown, I think people are kind of considering their food choices a bit more and, mm. and well, really feeling the difference in when they eat good food as um, as opposed to not. <laughs> and so, so many people come in like, oh, my gosh, I've been looking like for something like this for so long. Uh, and I think it is too because we don't overcomplicate it. Like maybe there's been um, some similar offerings in the past that um, – isn't as simplified as us and some people just want to come in and build their own bowl and maybe it's not a combination that I might have but it's something that they love and we love that they can enjoy that. How long have you been thinking about the idea of Green On It and and what inspired it? Um, It's definitely been brewing for three years plus. (laughs) Um, I think think living in New York, um, it's kind of – it opens your eyes to how unsustainable people are. Mm. Um, and that's not just about environmental choices, but it's on themselves as well. Um, you know, like I was working 100 hours a week there and um, and probably not really eating very well. And, and then also sometimes, like, you might go out to um, – more like fast casual fast food places and everything was in takeaway packaging like even if you ate in and there would be bins overflowing inside of takeaway packaging when that so easily could have been eliminated Mm. um and then also i know that there's a huge population there so it's really hard to feed the masses but a lot of the produce that i was eating just like didn't have any flavor in it anymore so i um really wanted to to reconnect with the purpose of food and what that meant to myself and then what that could mean to others. So um, with that in mind, then I moved back to Australia and I had been away for almost six years. So I really needed to reconnect with what was happening here and see um, what consumers' tastes and interests were and if it was something that they would be interested in. And then I kind of immersed myself into sustainability and was going to all these conferences and workshops and um, doing some not-for-profit work with it. And it really solidified that people are interested in it, but it, it they're intimidated for the change, to make the change. Mm-hmm. And so um, I worked on this big event and we had 2,500 people go through the door on one day. And they were, everyone was so interested in learning about different aspects of sustainability. But in my opinion, I didn't know where they were going to go and action it afterwards. Mm. And so I thought if I make that as easy as possible for them, then, you know, that's already uh, ticking off a huge goal. So I, um, yeah, I just kind of took all that in and then obviously COVID hit, which was so lucky that I hadn't moved faster with opening the business. Otherwise, I probably would have, <laughs> we wouldn't be talking. Um, but it was good just for me to be able to observe in the first 12 months of COVID to see how other hospitality venues were handling it um, and just, yeah, sit back and just keep learning and keep educating myself and, and keep discovering producers and systems and things like that. And I, I think what I learned in that time was again like we don't have to overcomplicate things like I kept looking for like the next technology and innovation in sustainability and and it doesn't have to be that way like it doesn't have to be such an intimidating space we really all we need to do is revert back to 
what we our grandparents were doing you know just eat food that you know where it comes from don't worry about doing too much to it and eat it as soon as possible and get all the nutrients and and enjoy it so we're not really you know trying to do anything groundbreaking here we're just taking people back to back in time really as as you started this journey and started to eat differently and think differently and nourish your body differently did did you notice an impact on on your physical and mental health yeah definitely i had debilitating headaches um from when they stuffed up the lumbar puncture um because i don't know if i said last time they mm. um my spinal fluid was leaking so it was causing my brain to sag every time i sat up wow and um, so they were able to correct that with a blood patch um, where they flooded my whole back with blood to hope that a clot would form on the leak. Um, wow. But it was almost 12 months of debilitating headaches um, and they were really shocking. But um, as soon as I changed my diet, uh, they started to ease off a lot, which was really interesting. So beetroot is very good for headaches. Anyone out there that suffers headaches? Um, but I, I do have to supplement it with some vitamins. I take B2 every day, which is for migraines. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just staying on top of, of, of your diet and what you're eating. And so lots of leafy greens and, um, pumpkin seeds are very good for you. Um, so it's also good that ours are very delicious. Um, and yeah, it just makes you feel good. Like after I started eating that way, if, a few months in, I was just waking up feeling better. I was lasting longer without having such a bad headache. And um, then just shy of 12 months um, from being sick, literally I was like, I, th- I think I might not be sick anymore. Um, and everything wow. was, was feeling good again. Um, and now I, other than obviously having – the exhaustion from recently opening something, um, I'd say I'm, I'm back at 95%. I just listen to my body now as well. Like, you know, if I'm ever feeling exhausted, I make sure that I rest, whereas in the past I would have just kept keep pushing myself. Um, and it's, it's great that I'm here all the time and have access to all this amazing food. So, you know, in the past, other restaurants I've worked at and you don't have time to eat and you probably don't get a, given a break. You just quickly stuff something in your mouth on the line while you can. Um, but here I make sure everyone breaks because for me, as I mentioned before, it's not just about sustainability for the environment. It's for the individual. And so I want us to be able to work in this industry and, to, to be able to keep sustaining ourselves and regenerating ourselves because we shouldn't be burning out, you know. We shouldn't have to work the crazy hours in such bad conditions. And unfortunately, it's given our industry quite a bad rep over this pandemic period and so many people have left and, and industries all over the country and all over the world are really feeling that now. So I think we need to um, really come together and, and show people how incredible it can be to, to be in this industry um, mm. and that you, you don't have to run yourself in the ground to be a part of it. Um, uh, <laughs> one little example I'll give you of that. I don't know if you've seen, my dad has been our dishwasher since we opened. <laughs> And I didn't really want to have a dishwasher. I didn't think we needed one. I thought we could all take it in turns. And on day one, he said, why don't I just come? And if you need help, I'll help out. Anyway, he's been, he's been here. And he's never worked in hospitality before. Um, and he 
is like he's just been so incredible. But we had one hard day last week. We were just kind of messing around a little bit in the morning and the lunch rush came really early and we just got hit and we were running out of things and things were low and and the dishes just like never stopped. Poor dad, he came in late because I had to go to chef's hat on the way and the, there was the biggest pile of dishes and I could just see him melting. And us three girls, like, you know, we've all been there before. We know that there are those really hard days in hospitality and we just know you've got to lift each other up and you're all going to get through it and you can have a laugh about it at the end of service. And um, and so we, we got we got him through and he was like, oh, my gosh, I just, you know, I never experienced that before. But then the next day in the morning we are like, okay, let's make sure we're really ready for whatever comes today. And so we were so well prepared. We got absolutely smashed. We had our biggest day on record and we had the best time and we had so much fun and it was so rewarding and Dad just couldn't believe how great it was. He, like, was, you know, just, like, running off the endorphins and it was so much fun. And so I think that's why we do it, you know. Like, it's so rewarding and it's that instant gratification too because you seek like instantly with the customers how much they're enjoying it and their reaction and and they feed off off you as well like if they come in and see that we're having a great time they're going to join in with us and have a great time with us too so yeah (laughs) you've been involved in many projects and openings and all sorts of things over the years How, how different has opening this felt for you uh, very different because it's completely my responsibility. So I got nowhere to run. Um, it was an absolute shit show the week before we opened. Uh, we had um, on the Monday we shot the menu. So Kate and I came in and we had to prep the entire menu from nothing. So it was a huge prep job. Then we did the shoot. The shoot went for about five hours. We were so exhausted. I said, Kate, go home. I'll look after the rest. Dad was here to help us clean up, which was lucky. So then Dad and I finished cleaning up at about 8 p.m. We were so buggered, and I noticed that the sink was a bit clogged. I was like, oh, I can't really be bothered saying anything. I just want to go home and sleep. But I know that Dad will probably be able to help me fix it, so I should say something now. So he had a look, and he was like, oh, let's go up to the shops and get some Drano, and I couldn't even be bothered to do that. And he was like, oh, hang on, Mike, where's your grease trap? I was like, it's out the back. So he went out the back and I heard him calling my name and I went out and grease was just flooding down the back laneway. Wow. And, um, and so the grease trap had um, overflown and this is now at like 8.30 at night. Um, so we called in an emergency removal and, um, and they arrived at 9.30 and, um, and I, I had actually scheduled it in the week before and they had left me a note but didn't say that they couldn't do anything or whatever. So I thought it was kind of strange that it had overfilled within a week. The space hasn't been used in two years and, and it was existing. Anyway, so the guy comes in and he's like, oh, I can't open this. The cool room's been built over the grease trap access panel. And I was like, what? Wow. And he was like, the cool room's going to have to go. And I'm just thinking we're opening in a week where it has been so delayed to open. We're finally here and we're, we're not going to be able to do it. And then 
um, it, it's a really old grease trap. It's got three panels. And so Dad was like, well, why don't we try to get it from another panel? But there was concrete poured over it. And the guy was like, oh, I can't, I can't try to access that. And Dad was like, I've got a chisel in my car. <laughs> so he went and got the chisel and chiseled away at the concrete and revealed another access point. Wow. I, was, I was crying. My whole body was shaking. Um, and so they were able to pop it up and, and get in to drain it. So just things like that is um, it's a big difference from opening things for other people. <laughs> um, uh, but, I, like, I've, I've loved the process. I, um, I designed the whole space myself um, in terms of all the kitchen layout and big kitchen equipment and the design, and, and I, I didn't have a um, project manager, which probably I probably should have. Um, I learned a lot the hard way, but um, I really love being across everything, and now I know exactly how everything works in the space, and, and if something goes wrong, I know how to get to the root of the problem, and I know exactly how the space is being built, and hopefully there'll be more green on in, green ons in the future. So, um, you know, it's just really great to learn all of that on the first one. I know you're only f- four weeks in, but um, what, what are you enjoying about owning your own place? And um, is, is it sort of how you envisaged it all those years ago? Um, crazily, it's like everything and more. I just, we can't believe how smoothly everything's going. I was waiting for some of the systems not to work and I didn't bog myself down too much on trying to write too many systems um, before we opened because I knew everything would change as soon as the customers came in. But any system that I did create has worked and Mm. especially with the display units, like the deli fridges, I had all of them custom built and I wasn't sure how the flow was going to be or they're like three um, gastros deep. I was like, is that going to be too deep? How are we going to go? But everything has been so seamless. Um, we just can't believe it. So, um, yeah, we're, we're loving it, really enjoying it. And I think, too, it's just it's so rewarding when it's your own because, you know, um, when I was working 100 hours a week for other people, like that was just on my 45-hour salary. There, was no, there wasn't anything extra on that. Mm. You get a little bit bogged down after a while that you're working this hard for someone else. Um, and so, yeah, it's just so nice to know that this is this is working off um, for me and for, for all the planning that had gone into it. And, and, I mean, ultimately, like, this is my passion, you know. Like, I'm, I'm so passionate about everything that we're doing and I really, truly believe that it is a really great way to impact people and environment and communities so so far we've yeah we've seen only positive impact so i can't wait for us to keep going you've created a a business model that's really accessible to just about anyone but um, touches on issues like sustainability and using uh, nutrient-rich produce which is considered a challenge in the food service sector now What, what sort of advice do you have for those looking to change and adopt those sort of ways um i think like Firstly, especially with the nutrient-dense food, um, try to reduce as much waste as possible when you're prepping because, you know, restaurants that I've worked in in the past, when you're trying to do a perfect brunoise, like there is so much waste to that. And um, it's 
that whole ingredient is delicious. Like people don't need to see a perfect dice on their plate. Um, and for me personally, like I like to see food in its true form. So, um, yeah, try to eliminate food waste wherever possible. And we also keep a, um, food scraps of stock and we make stock every week. Um, we actually, we, it was, it's kind of been too hot to, um, offer it to the customers on the side of their soup. So, um, we just make it for ourselves and take it home. But, you know, we're, we're going through so many chickens um, and we have all amazing little scraps of garlic and spring onions and parsley stalks and ginger and the stock is just so delicious. So um, we're really giving it at least three lives because we've got those food scraps and put them into stock and then, then that ends up going in the waste ninja um, and, and being turned into electricity. Um, so, yeah, I think just try to utilise it as much as possible and not overcomplicate things you know I think last time we touched on as well like everyone's first meal back out was um you made them feel a little bit sick because the food's so rich um Mm. and it's I think also too in the pandemic everyone has just missed like the art of hospitality and they love being in the space like we don't we don't need to overcomplicate the food let the food speak for itself and I think in the past, even the way that I cooked, I was always like looking to add more and I was yeah, always looking for another texture and, and that almost like all the textures in the food that I was eating was just noise in my head. All I could hear was myself crunching. And, um, and now we do, you know, you can add a texture to every bowl and we do have a texture in each bowl, but there's not a heap and like you, you stop and you think and you taste the food and, um, I, yeah, I just, slowing down i think that's that's a big part of it what are you proud of <laughs> everything <laughs> um i'm super proud of um a lot of the materials that we've used like a lot of um our materials are re- repurposing waste materials so our bench top is made from recycled glass it's called better stone um i could not mm. handle it if we had caesar stone in the space um because as it's full of chemicals when you're dry cutting it um that yeah i it was really important for me to um do to find materials that were per- purpose-led by their producers as well um so yeah so we've got the recycled glass bench top our um stools are made from recycled shampoo and conditioner and like soap bottles um and everyone loves them they pick them up when they come in like oh these stools are so cool and then when they find out that they're from repurposed waste materials they love it even more um and we love our e-water system as well it's like incredible to have a solution that is only mm. made from a salt brine, but it's electrolyzed so that it creates either um, a sanitizer or a cleaning um, solution, or you can also combine them for a neutral. And even when Kate first started using it, she was like, no, no, I need something sudsy. I need to wipe the benches down. I was like, that's your perception of what cleans, you know, like it doesn't mm. have to be sudsy and it literally cleans anything. It's, it's amazing. Wow. Um, so we're reducing so much plastic in having that as well and also just um, chemicals and, and toxins in the air, which is which is great. So, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm, there's, there's a lot to be proud of. I'm so proud of all the staff because um, it's not easy opening a new place when you really don't know if they're, what the systems are and if they're going to work. Um, but everyone has just, yeah, I think everyone's just embraced being in here and, um, 
and it's kind of nice I guess too because most of the time when you're back of house you don't really get to have any interaction with customers Mm. Um, and I think we're all really loving that aspect of it too because we're all so passionate about what we do and where the food comes from but we never really get the opportunity to talk about it so (laughs) now you probably have to tell us to shut up I know it's early days. You're only uh, four weeks in. Do you, do you have any future plans bubbling away in your mind? Well, I thought that I probably wouldn't think about it for six to 12 months. <laughs> but everything has gone so smoothly. I'm like, all right, should we do the next one? <laughs> I think I'll definitely start looking in the new year for sites. I mean, it can take so long to find a site. And then even, um, you know, from this one, what I learn is that can take so long just to sign the lease um, and get the lease right. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely – I'd like to start looking and I think there's some really exciting opportunities in areas of Melbourne. I guess we just have to make sure we can get this pandemic under control because when I signed the lease at the start of the year, I thought it was over. Um, uh, so, yeah, hopefully everything's looking good and we've, we've really noticed that a lot of people are back um, at the office as I mentioned, we're in a business park and so mm. I didn't I didn't choose to open the date that hospitality reopened because it wasn't the date that office workers were going back. So I held off two weeks and waited for offices to go back and um, there's more and more people coming back every day. But I know a lot of um, the general consensus in offices are that a lot of the staff are saying they're going to wait for the new year to come back. So, um, yeah, we're just super excited to see what the new year can bring and everyone kind of gaining a bit more confidence post-pandemic if that's where we're at um to to eat out again and find their routines and yeah enjoy enjoy life a bit more well frankie you're an absolute inspiration and it's awesome to catch up with you again as always um please keep in touch and no doubt we'll hear again from you pretty soon thanks so much chuck lovely to speak to you and when you come down to melbourne you have to come in for a bowl i love it i'll do it (laughs) love it thanks huck (laughs) bye This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.